welcome to Big Bird Christian Center's online sermon podcast. Join us today as Pastor Floyd brings the message, How to Overcome Toxic Shame. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, we, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we acknowledge, God, that uh, you are filled with grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, that you are never one to put us down, always to build us up and strengthen us. And as we celebrate Father's Day here, I pray that your spirit would just give insight and understanding and wisdom, and that in all of it, God, you would be praised. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody here that uh, you grew up uh, feeling like you were not quite acceptable, didn't measure up? Oh, we're from the same class. Uh, What was the most positive message that your parents or other important authority figure gave to you as a child? Anybody? And don't sleep in church. Okay. Anybody else? Always be honest. Okay. That means you have to get all the stuff out from under the bed and, you know, the whole deal. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Do you do that? Okay. <laughs> I love you no matter what. Uh, do you find it easy or hard to give a compliment? Hard. Okay, just tell me I'm doing a good job. Thank you. Anybody else? You find it hard to give a compliment. Okay. Uh, Let's go a little further here. Can you affirm something that is good in a person even though there are other areas that are not yet finished or positive? Or, Or do you kind of feel like you need to encourage the unfinished parts before you can, you know, affirm them? in the things that are positive. What, would, what one thing would you like to hear from your father? It's good to laugh, isn't it? But it's even better to be serious sometimes. All right, let's try another one. Uh, 
do you think believing that might have a positive effect on putting a guard on your tongue? Let me go back here just a minute. Uh, James 3 gives us three illustrations of the tongue. Number one, the bit, the rudder, and the fire. Uh, anybody help me expound on this? What does it mean? What's the bit in the mouth? All right. It's there, it's there to control. All right. Another one was a rudder. Okay. And finally, the fire. What? I didn't hear. I still didn't hear. It's okay. I still didn't hear, but we'll try somebody else here. You got to speak up, honey. It's these young ears. What's that? Okay. Uh, Okay, it could be an unruly evil set on fire of hell. Does that stop you for a moment when you're disappointed in someone or they have not done fairly with you and you're feeling inside, I'm going to rip them up? I have to ask you because I never felt that. Okay, I, I want to share something that I discovered. I didn't write this, but it sure uh, said some important things to me. And it's called toxic shame. All these kinds of abuse create toxic shame. The feeling of being flawed and diminished and never measuring up, toxic shame feels much worse than guilt. With guilt, you've done something wrong, but you can repair it. You, you can do something about that. With toxic shame, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can change. Are you inadequate or defective? Toxic shame is the core of the wounded child. Let me just read this person has written it wonderfully. They say, my name is Toxic Shame. I was there at conception. In the epiphrine of your mother's shame, you felt me in the fluid of your mother's womb. I came upon you before you could speak, before you understood, before you had any way of knowing. I came upon you when you were learning to walk when you were unprotected and exposed, when you were vulnerable and needy, before you had any boundaries, my name is toxic shame. I came upon you when you were magical. Before you could know I was there, I severed your soul. Uh, I pierced you to the core. I brought you feelings of being flawed and defective. I brought you feelings of distrust distrust, ugliness, stupidity, doubt. Do I need to put this thing down a ways? Or just talk softer? Okay. Uh, I brought you feelings of being flawed and defective. 
I brought you feelings of distrust and ugliness, stupidity, doubt, worthlessness, inferiority, and unworthiness. I made you feel different. I told you there was something wrong with you. I soiled your godlikeness. My name is toxic shame. Before I existed, before guilt, before morality, in the master emotion, I am the internal voice that whispers words of condemnation. I am in the internal shudder that courses through you without any mental preparation. My name is toxic shame. I live in secrecy in the deep, moist banks of darkness, depression, and despair. Always I sneak up on you. I catch you off guard. I come through the back door, uninvited, unwanted, the first to arrive. I was there at the beginning of time with Father Adam and Mother Eve, Brother Cain. I was at the Tower of Babel, a slaughter of the innocents. My name is Toxic Shame. I came from shameless caretakers, abandonment, ridicule, abuse, neglect, professionist, perfectionistic systems. I am empowered by the shocking intensity of a parent's rage, the cruel remarks of siblings, jeering humiliation of other children, awkward reflection in the mirrors, the touch that feels icky and frightening, the slap, the pinch, the jerk that ruptures trust. I am intensified by racist, sexist culture. The righteous condemnation of religious bigots, the fears and pressures of schooling, hypocrisy of politicians, the multi-generational dysfunction, family systems. My name is toxic shame. I can transform a woman person, a Jewish person, a black person, an oriental person, a precious child, into a bitch, a kike, a nigger, a bull dyke, faggot, chinks, selfish little bastard. I bring pain that is chronic, pain that will not go away. I am the hunter that stalks you night and day, every day, everywhere. I have no boundaries. You try to hide from me, but you cannot, because I live inside of you. I make you feel hopeless, like there is no way out. My name is toxic shame. My pain is so unbearable that you must pass me on to others through control, perfectionism, contempt, criticism, blame. My pain is so intense. You must cover me up with addictions, rigid roles, reenactment, and unconscious ego defendants. Def excuse me unconscious ego defenses. My pain is so intense that you must numb out and no longer feel me. I convinced you that I was gone, that I do not exist. You experience absence and emptiness. My name is toxic shame. I am the core of codependency. I am spiritual bankruptcy the logic of absurdity, the repetition of compulsion. I am crime, violence, incest, and rape. I am the voracious whole that fuels all addictions. I am instability and lust. 
I am Haveris, the wandering Jew. I am Wagner's flying Dutchman and Dostoevsky's underground man. I twist who you are into what you do and have. I murder your soul and you pass me on for generations. My name is Toxic Shame. This meditation sums up the ways that the wonderful child got wounded. The loss of your I amness is spiritual bankruptcy. The wonder child is abandoned all alone. This was written by Alice Miller. That's hard stuff, isn't it? How many of you say, I think it's true? How many people feel these kinds of emotions uh, and as they grow up, they just take different aberrations. And the freedom goes away. The joy goes away. The hope goes away. And all they can do, all we can do, is wallow in our toxic shame that I'm not worth anything and everything I do is somehow not good enough. I've been uh, looking at the present tense reality of the kingdom of God. Bear with me. I've, I've drawn out for you a pretty ugly cesspool of forces and reactions that are upon us from the time of Adam. When sin came into the world, when Adam said... Or Adam and Eve said, I can be my own God. I can know right from wrong. I don't need to get counsel from God. And from that time, uh, we have been dealing with what's called the fall. And from Adam on, every human being born into the world is born into a toxic environment. And there are a few places where we can go for respite from the hammering that the enemy wants to put on us. And one of them is places like this. Places like, or things like our worship team. Did you enjoy the worship this morning? Yeah, I did too. And I, I just want to thank you guys for, I don't know how you choose, choose your songs, but I found myself liberated to actually Visualize God as present, and I'm speaking to him, not about him, not my opinions of him, but I'm speaking to him about whatever I want to say. And the words of these songs help us say it to him. And as that happens, things are happening in, in our own soul that tends to bring uh, a correction This fall that we speak of uh, affects all social issues, economic commands, usury, the year of jubilee, marriage, abuse not allowed, innocent to be protected, relationship with God, relationship with, with children, as Romans one thirty one says, uh, that without natural affection. 
this is Father's Day. Would you allow me to tell you about my father? He, is, he, he died in 1976. Uh, he was born in South Dakota to a immigrant poor farm family that used horses for their implements. And uh, he grew up walking behind horses and helping his father with the things that they needed to do to do just to survive. They were nominally, they would say they were nominally a Lutheran family. In other words, that was the family tradition. And if they could get time, uh, they would find a, or would go to the local Lutheran church. And it was uh, when my father, I think, was about uh, 25 that uh, he was out in the fields working with his horse, which he had come to hate. Uh, horses were not his idea of a good time. But uh, he was out there, and a man came out in the field to talk with him. And he shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there in that field, behind that horse, he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was not long. By the way, he was an eighth grade graduate, which was the norm for the time and place. And uh, it wasn't long before he felt a desire or a need uh, to pursue uh, ministry, not knowing even what that will look like. And he went to St. Paul, uh, where the Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance, had a school. And he went through the ministerial training course and graduated. He met my mother there, who had come out from Bremerton, Washington. And they married and started having children, which is kind of the normal course of events. Uh, this is where my memories of my father really begin. And uh, I have never met a gentler, kinder, uh, internally directed person than my father. Uh, he passed, there was no church to pastor, so... Uh, he built probably what was the first mobile home. It was, it was a trailer. And uh, they took that trailer and headed west with three kids, and I was the youngest. Uh, and they had ministry as they could come, say, to a Grange Hall, get permission to hold services, canvas the community, and, and have, have services. They wound up in Montana, and he was dealing with a, a uh, roughneck group of people who were there building uh, the huge dam in uh, northwest uh, Montana. And uh, there were people there that found Jesus Christ as their Savior. And uh, I don't know how my mother did it, but there were three of us plus two adults that were living in this eight-foot-wide trailer. 
no amenities, there was no running water, no toilets, uh, but somehow the place was always clean and orderly. And everybody was taught how to fit in so that it, would, it, it could work for the family. My father went on to pastor uh, a church in Dallas, Oregon, uh, in Lewiston, Idaho, in uh, uh, Washington, a couple of different places. And uh, probably the best two years of my life was when he came to work with me at a church I was pastoring in Bremerton, Washington. And he was a joy. Uh, He was a man that uh, never had a bad word. Never, never, I, I don't recall a time, maybe one, when he ever kind of lost it and uh, it was with my older brother and we were moving and he wasn't and I remember my dad hollering at him that's that's the the worst it got but uh, I I know what God can do to change a person can pull them out of the muck of of uh, imprints that have been put on them by family and culture and uh, work people that, that you're with. And uh, I, what happened with my father tells me God can save to the uttermost. Anyone who looks to God with sincerity of heart can experience that dynamic transformation of being born again of the Spirit. How many of you, well, maybe I shouldn't ask this. How many of you feel like you have been filled with the Spirit? That's a good number, because this is the, the, the core issue of living Christianly. I was going to preach some with Jim, Big Jim's encouragement from Galatians, because we were going through Galatians together, and it was so rich, and we were getting so much out of it. Jim says, why don't you preach on this? So I didn't. But what the Galatians were experiencing, here was a church. And by the way, Galatia was not a city. It was in an area up around, if you come up uh, the coast past Jerusalem and on across the top, uh, about over here, the province of Galatia. And there were four or five churches there that Paul had, had visited and had, had helped to start. And he is getting back feedback now that the church is in trouble and it's spreading like a cancer and the trouble that they were experiencing was the issue that involved the work of the spirit and Paul goes to great lengths to defend his apostleship the time he spent in the desert the time that he spent 14 years uh, and he was being taught by the Holy Spirit uh, by direct revelation, and he goes to great lengths to, to defend that since he had had a visitation, as it were, from Christ, that he was as much an apostle as the rest of them. But what was happening up there in those churches was 
a group of people were coming into the fellowship who were being saved out of Judaism. Now, Judaism, and I'm not here to, to put any bad uh, inference on Jewish people, but they were given the law of Moses. And uh, in those rules and regulations, uh, the people were finding their experience with Jesus was true, but now they're being told they've got to add a whole body of behaviors before they are truly uh, acceptable. And uh, Paul responds, you know, how can you, having begun so well that you are now being drawn aside to legalism? Now, legalism uh, is, is taking the rules and the laws, the commandments that were given through Moses, and every good Jewish person is committed to that. Whether they pull it off or not, I'm not here to say. But Paul saw this coming into the church, and he is trying to remind them that there are two centers from which people can draw the strength, the insight, the wisdom, the energy to be a Christian. And they were saying that uh, uh, you needed to be keeping these commandments and the one that they were concerned about that was kind of prime was the issue of initiation into Judaism, which was circumcision. Now, Paul gets a little rough with this. And uh, he said, I could wish that you would not only, if, if you want to follow the law, I could wish that you'd go the whole way and cut everything off. And he's, he is incensed that the people have been given this gift of a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and his finished sacrifice. And now people are coming along and saying, that's good, but, but this. Is that, a, is that an issue for, for us today? You know, you've got the law and you've got grace. Grace is God's empowering presence that enables me to be what he created me to be. Grace is the indwelling person of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And it is, it is inevitable when we are living by the law, that we are going to fail. You know, you're, you got your rules, and you're trying to keep them, and you learn to justify the times when you slip up and so on. And nobody was ever able to fulfill the law. And uh, now they, they are being told that uh, receive Christ and receive his spirit, but you got to do these things to prove your faith. Is, it, is that a problem with, with Christians today? Uh, it, it troubles me deeply that we are able to turn aside so quickly. And I guess the reason is because it's so reasonable to do behavior modification. Try harder. Push harder. You can do this. Read your Bible more. Pray more. 
And, and we've got this stuff that's put on us as an addendum to what we have in Christ, which is, as Paul puts it, uh, that this old nature, this Adam nature, this toxic uh, force inside of us, uh, we, need to, we need to go to work on that. And we need to improve and improve and improve. And Paul just goes off on them. You know, having begun in faith, are you now going to go back to the works of the flesh as your basis of life? And the issue really is that there are two sources from which we can draw our spiritual energy. One of them is the laws which are good. I didn't say they weren't. The law is good, but it doesn't produce faith, and it doesn't energize. And when Jesus went to the cross, Paul says in Romans that he put to death the works of the flesh. And as you take it on in Paul's epistles, you'll find over and over again he is saying that uh, when we come to Christ, there are some amazing things that happen. Number one, our, let me just go back a little bit. Uh, sometimes when we're dealing with someone who, who is receiving Christ, uh, we wind up them giving them a list of things that they have to do. You know, you need to come to church, preferably every Sunday. And you need to read your Bible diligently, and you need to pray, and you need to witness. I'm tired already. And what Paul is saying, there is a deficit in the source of the human flesh to pull it off. It cannot do it. We cannot be righteous enough with our fleshly efforts to ever measure up to the uh, righteousness that's in Jesus Christ, which is given to us as a free gift. Consequently, many Christians are not told about these two sources, and they continue to look at the things that they have to do, and weighing and measuring, am I, am I okay? I'm better than so-and-so, and I'm, I'm better than last year, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making progress. Now, the, the beauty of Christianity is that the law, which depended on the flesh to make it work, uh, is never effective. What is affected, effective is the God center, the source. And out of his po- power, out of his counsel, out of Christ living in us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We we need to shift the focus, not to always behavior modification, but to a relationship so that we're living from him and not just for him. Am I speaking the truth? Ooh, you're there. I want to give you two illustrations of... uh, people that uh, had a problem 
uh, being okay. And these are real, real cases, and the name I'll give the guy is Brian. And it, in effect, Brian is with his dying father. Uh, Brian is with his dying father, and the father just simply cannot say the words that heal to his son. Uh, He's saying to his father, please tell me that you love me. Please tell me that you love me. Now, the father was a Marine officer. Uh, the greatest desire for his son was to follow in his, in his trail. Uh, he was pushed into sports to take classes that would move him in the direction of military. And Brian did that. Uh, he enlisted. And it wasn't long before he was on report. He was dishonorably discharged uh, and disowned by his family. From that time on, feelings of inferiority, lack of self-confidence. He had three engagements that he broke, so he just felt like no one can really love me. And with the father dead, the words of love and acceptance were now impossible. Nancy, from an affluent family, socialite mother, dressed up for show. Nancy, the daughter, was quite large, uh, big-boned. The sister is petite, and verbal barbs are always coming about losing weight. Never heard any of that here, I know, I'm sure. And she was angry with God because he made her this way. She's a no-good person. And there's no way out of it. We look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. There are two directions that can come from non-blessing. Workaholism, perfectionism. Are these taskmasters or not? Workaholism And perfectionism uh, puts us on a treadmill that we can never, ever catch up. Or it can be withdrawal. I can't ever win anyway. I just give up. Do you know any people that have died before they died? Of course. Uh, A teacher and a writer by the name of Donald Joy has uh, written something on the elements of the blessing. And uh, I'll just shortcut through them, but it, it involves five things. Number one, meaningful touch. I really like you. Spoken words, the bit the rudder, the fire, uh, and this workaholism and perfectionism is a, is a cry. Am I okay yet? Can you, can you really accept me now? I've achieved everything you thought you wanted from me, at least as I understood it, and I still feel like you're not ready to give the blessing. 
The third thing is attaching high value. This is dealing with the, the child. We'll keep it in that genre for now. And that's to help the child to visualize God's intended design and purpose for that child. I see this in you. Uh, you, are, you are really good with art, with drawing or painting or these kind of things. Or I, I, I see the, uh, the ability to, uh, to write a good sentence in a paragraph. You know, this is something that you ought to look into as perhaps a special gift from God that should be a part of the shaping of your life. Okay, we still got an hour and ten. <laughs> Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, parents, your job is not to shape them in your image, but to help them to discover God's design that he has placed in that child and to encourage it, uh, to, to give it an opportunity to flower. Uh, a special picture about what that child's future could be. And I, I think of the, the Jewish mother with twins, and she just called them Benny the doctor and Reuben the lawyer. You know, she had a, she had a vision of what they could be. And uh, I don't know how she came to that conclusion. Maybe the family needed a lawyer. But uh, this is just... Uh, an illustration of how we can put a blessing on a child by giving them a picture of who I see, of what I see God's design for that child. Written, written into our genes is the need for the blessing. I feel like I received the blessing from my parents. I mean, I, I was privileged to grow up in an authentic Christian home. And everything uh, that went on there in terms of how the home operated, the chores that the kids did, and uh, dad's responsibility to provide. He pastored little churches. Uh, most of them, I don't think any of them, could afford to, to pay him, really. And he would do whatever he needed to do to fulfill his calling. And uh, he drove a school bus. He worked in a, a hardware store. Uh, all kinds of things. I remember as a family going out to the field up in Oregon. And I don't know how this works, but to pick hops. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a hop. I thought it should have a prefect called Sock Hop. But, uh, you know, I, I just saw, I, I never saw him distressed and worried about things. And uh, I just feel really blessed to have had my parents, uh, as I think few people have, 
God, our Father in heaven, has provided for everyone a great eternal blessing. You are not an accident. You are an incident. And God was involved. It wasn't just two people in passion planting a seed and a baby grows. God was, was there superintending that process. And you have worth and value, if for no other reason, that God made you, not as you are, but as you could be. As uh, your destiny is worked out and discovered. Five conditions for blessing. Meaningful touch, spoken words, attaching high value, picturing a special future, and an active commitment to walk it through with them. You know, when I see kids growing up and their houses and their yards and their cars are a junk pile, I know that that's probably what was going on in their home, and that's what they saw as normal. And I just have to tell you, you don't put five people in an eight-foot by 20-foot box and survive if that's your mindset. And God has made it possible for us to discover our purpose and the meaning of our life and uh, to be able to live with, with boldness and with confidence. Any of you be willing to acknowledge that you have never received the blessing? And I don't mean just a, a glib prayer, but uh, a life lived that left you feeling whole and worthwhile. We're going we're gonna, to uh, give a blessing. You, you let me do that? Okay. Uh, uh, I think it's time we stood up. Shoo. And I would encourage you just to uh, put yourself in a prayer uh, mode where you can receive uh, things from God in the spirit. In the name of Jesus, I speak God's blessing upon you. You are a special creation of God, created for unique and eternal purposes. You are the object of God's love as it was revealed by Jesus' death, which paid for all your sins, past, present, future. As God's child, you have been given gifts and abilities by the Holy Spirit to enable your life to be of highest value. In the name of Jesus, I receive the kingdom of God and the will of God to be done in you here on earth, just like it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, I break every curse placed on you by anyone, whether ignorantly or purposefully. It is broken. 
From this day forward, you will walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. You are liberated from fear and intimidation by man or demons. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister Jesus' kingdom and to bring blessing wherever you go. Will you receive this blessing? Wives, uh, husbands, will you bless your mate? Uh, Don't take them for granted. Don't harp on the little things that irritate. Give them the picture of God's design and purpose for them as you speak blessing on one another. Father God, however well or poorly I have said these things, they come from your heart. And in Jesus' name, and by the authority of the cross of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, we receive the blessing from you, God. Holy Spirit, you reside within every born-again believer. And you are within me to reinforce the blessing and to energize and to give insight and wisdom to fulfill a destiny that God had intended for me. We receive, God, your mercy and your grace. We renounce the temptation uh, to try to boost our ego by taking over the, the controls, trying to manage everything ourselves. Father God, put in our hearts uh, uh, the, the value that you place on the people around us, that we would stand in awe of them. We would be uh, overwhelmed, God, by the, the, the possibilities of a believer filled with the Spirit to make a difference in this life and to do it with joy. So God, I thank you for this morning and I commit this word to the keeping of your spirit in our hearts. I pray that you would give us courage, God, if we have uh, put the law and we've given approval or disapproval depending on whether our children did the right things in just the right way. Forgive us, God, and give us your eyes to see and your heart to heal. And to cause each of these in our circle of influence uh, to become liberated and whole in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Father, we receive these good gifts and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.